I want to begin today talking to us about getting to know us, getting to know us as a congregation and getting to know us as what God has called us to be in his kingdom as we move forward into the blessings that he has for us. So today, I, I want to encourage you to uh, kind of open your spirit, open your mind to what God would speak to us. We're going to be talking about vision today, how that God has given us a vision and how that we live that vision out, how we go about that. Uh, and I'm so thankful for our media team. In fact, uh, if you just watch the intro to the sermons, you'd already have the sermons down before I ever get up here and preach them uh, because the media team always does such a great job of putting that together. I'm, I'm going to ask you this morning to take your Bibles, go to the book of John, the 15th chapter. Uh, as you're doing that, let me greet the campuses this morning that would join with us. Uh, we're glad you're with us today. We pray that God will minister there in, in your place. As you gather together there, we're believing that God has already shown up, that you've already sensed his presence, and that as the word goes forth today, that you will also receive the engrafted word of God in your life that will help change you and make you into the image of Jesus Christ. The book of John, the 15th chapter, I want to read verse 4 and 5 to you. It says this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in what? Me. That's what Jesus said. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much Fruit. I want you to, if you can, just underline that in your Bible. Bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, we, we kind of quote that without me, we can do a few things. Right? But, but I begin to look at that one day, and, and really what the Scripture is saying there is that anything of eternal significance cannot be done outside of of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to come to that place where we abide in him, where we are rooted and grounded in him because it is through him that there is the production in our lives of everything that God has. And so as I begin to talk about the vision this morning, I, I want to encourage you to understand that everything that we talk about in this local church uh, and in the ministry called Love and Truth Churches, that it is always about abiding in the vine, that we know that everything, our plans, our visions, our ideas, is are of no use unless we are plugged in to Jesus. Amen. You believe that? I mean, I don't, listen, we can have the, the greatest strategy as a ministry. We can hire the best consultants. We can have the best staff. We can have the best preachers, whatever. But if we are not in plugged in, totally into Jesus Christ, we are not going to accomplish anything that is of eternal significance as we go forward. The, the, the Word of God there tells us how that we produce fruit, and that is the purpose in the life of every believer is to produce fruit. And so when we stay plugged into Jesus, we produce fruit. Having said that, you and I have got to come to the place, especially as a ministry, uh, that we have to understand that a vision has been given to every church. I believe that every church has been given a directive of God. Amen? I don't believe that Love and Truth Church needs to fulfill the vision of another church in another city. Amen? I mean, when, when we look around at our city, we ought to be unique. We ought to be distinctive. We shouldn't be doing what everybody else is doing. 
Wow, I'm going to get in trouble this morning already, and I haven't even got into it. I really don't. You say, well, pastor, shouldn't every, every church be alike? No, because every church is called to do something different. If not, then we ought to all join together. You know, I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking in, in the towns and in the cities that we are involved in. If, if you put all the churches together, do you realize how many tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of believers there are in each local town and each local city? And yet, if we're not careful, we forget that God has called us to do something that is unique. Every church has a unique calling upon it. It's not to be like everybody else. You, you shouldn't be trying to replicate what the church down the road is doing. Amen. So this morning, I want to share with you what the vision of this local assembly is, what this local ministry is. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the values uh, that we have as well. Here, here's here's kind of an overriding vision statement, if you want to write this down. It's almost everything that we put out. But it's simply this, changing lives to change our world. That's what we're called to do. We believe with all of our heart that we are called to change lives. That, that's what it's about. It's about changing lives. It's about reaching people where they are, but not leaving them where they are. You know, that's the great thing about God. God loves you just like you, like you are, but He cares too much about you to leave you like you are. And, and so in, involved in what God has called us to do, we've got to come to that place where we understand that the vision of this house is changing lives to change our world. And what is our world? Well, our world could be the people we live around, the people we work with, uh, those who are in our neighborhood, those who we go to church with. That's all part of your world. But not only is that part of our world, but we've been called not only uh, to West Tennessee or, or North Mississippi or, or to, you know, the Kentucky or whatever, we've literally been called to the entire world. And so we can never settle with just changing our arena. We've really got to be people who are about changing lives to change our world. Now, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about a, an extrapolated part of that vision, kind of a mission statement that's a little bit longer than that. And I'm going to take that this morning and talk to you about who we are uh, as a congregation of believers and as a ministry this morning. Here, here it is. Love and Truth Church is called to be a place of supernatural power impacting the world, showing unconditional love, reaching the lost, and bringing all people to maturity in Jesus Christ through obedience to His holy word. That's what we're called to do. You say, Pastor, that's a whole bunch of stuff. I know I'm going to break it down. I'm going to give you five things this morning that we are called to do. This is the vision. If you want to know what the vision of this house is, this is going to be the vision of this house this morning as we talk about five things that you and I have got to learn how to live out day in and day out. Listen, here's, here's what vision is all about. Vision is what gets you up in the morning. Vision is the thing that motivates you through life. Vision is what keeps you going when the times get tough. Any of, any of you ever wanted to just give up? Amen? I mean, just uh, on everything. And just, you know, I won't be, be specific, but you say, man, I just, I just like to give up. I just I don't want to go any further. And yet, if you have a vision... If, if that vision, you know, maybe when you're raising uh, children, all of a sudden, uh, you know, you've changed how many diapers and... 
wiped how many snotty noses and, you know, played the helicopter and, you know, coming into the hangar how many times? Come on, y'all don't know that one? You know, open up, here comes the airplane, you know. At the end of the day, when you finally get those kids in the bed, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, man, is this going to be my life forever? Right? But there's a vision. Those children are going to grow up. They're going to go to school. They're going to make something of themselves. At least you sure hope they will. All right? Uh, in your marriage at times, there, there are those times in your marriage when you look at it and it goes, man, this, this thing is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, it's... it's, it's Uh, let me help you. It's only in fairy tales where they lived happily ever after. I mean, any marriage goes through its times, but if you keep your vision uh, of what God has called you to be in, in your business, whatever it is, there has to be a vision uh, that keeps you focused and moving forward. And so here's, here's what a vision does. A vision uh, keeps you on track. A vision gives you direction. And a vision enables you to use a great word. And here's that word. And some of you need to learn this word. The word is no. Some of you don't know how to say that word. All right? There are a lot of things that this church is not called to, and so we're real quick to say no. Because we know what we are called to. And so once you determine what you are called to and what your vision is, then it enables you to define what you are going to do and how you're going to live it out. So let's, let's get into it. The, the first thing that this church is called to, that this ministry is called to, is that this ministry is called to be a place of supernatural power. Now what do I mean by that? I mean that this place is to be a place that is presence-driven. All right? Now you say, what does that mean, Pastor? Here's the bottom line. If God doesn't show up, I don't want to be here. If the presence of God does not come in and touch people's lives and minister to them, I don't care how great the band is, I don't care how great the sermon is, doesn't matter if, if anything happens or doesn't, if as God does not show up in the house, then I don't want to be there. I've said for years, listen, if it takes me going and being a janitor at a church where God's showing up on a regular basis, I'll go do that. If I can't be a part of a house that is seeking after the presence of God. Do you, do you realize that when you begin to read the book of Acts, all that you see is God showing up time and time and time and time again. Every time, time they'd gather together, God would show up. Amen. That's what I want. Every time we gather together, we talk about it. We talk about it among the pastors and among the pastoral staff that we have got to have, and we refer to it as this, there has got to be in every service at least one God moment. Now, what we mean by that is this, is that the presence of the Almighty God that transcends logic, that transcends our understanding, that it shows up and that people leave. And they may talk about how great the music was. They may talk about how great the singing was. They may even talk about how great the preaching was. But if they don't talk about how great God was, we've missed it. See, we've got to be people who are constantly, the, the psalmist said it this way, this way. He said, as the deer pants after the water, so my soul longs for thee, O God. There's got to be that longing. Listen, how long has it been since you've just wanted to experience the presence of God? I mean, do you realize that we get caught up with so much stuff? 
that we live life day in and day out, running wide open, uh, meeting all of our appointments, doing all of our things, and that if we are not careful, we can even come to church and we can just make it just one more thing on our agenda for the week. It can be just like that appointment that you've got scheduled for 9 o'clock in the morning and that business dealing. It can be just like uh, that, that luncheon that you've got scheduled later in the week. It can just be one more thing that you've put into the structure of your life, and yet if God does not show up and touch you, we've wasted our time. And so we pray all week long. We pray on Sunday morning that God shows up and that he ministers to every person in the house, that nobody can leave the place without knowing that the presence and the power of the Almighty God has ministered to them and touched them. Everything else, listen, there are four other things, but everything else falls beneath those four other things. Because if God doesn't show up, we're wasting our time. The Bible says if he does not build a house, we labor in vain. If God's presence, listen, here's what I found out about God's presence. God's presence will break through the hardest heart. God's presence will convict the person who you never thought would change. God's presence will convince the agnostic that there is a God. When all your reasoning and all your intellect has fallen short, God's presence will bypass every bit of that, and they will walk out going, I don't know what happened today, but I felt something. I sensed something in that place that I had never sensed before, and I, I want more of that in my life. And so the number one part of the vision is, is that we've got to be presence-driven, that we are a house of supernatural power. But then we don't stop there. We go on talking about that not only are we a place of supernatural power, but that we are impacting the world. The second thing is, is that we've got to be missions-minded. As a church, l listen, churches become so ingrown so quick. I I'm going to use a term I shouldn't, but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, churches become navel-gazers. All they, you know, again, you ever seen a baby, you know, find its navel? And they just, yeah, that's the way churches get something. It's all about us. We're just looking inward. It's all, no, 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 God's called us. Listen, Jesus Christ came to this earth not to save the saved. He came to save the lost. And so we've got to be, we've always got to be looking up. doesn't matter what any local church has on a Sunday morning. There are still thousands, tens of thousands, millions, and yes, even billions of people who still don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And until we get the gospel of the kingdom into all the world, our work is not done. And so sometimes if we're not careful, we'll become so focused on what's happening within the local church that we forget God's called us to impact the world. When you study the Scripture, what you find is, is that missions organizations in Scripture were always based out of the local church. Now, I thank God for denominations and all the things that they do, missions work. Uh, but I want to tell you, when you study scripturally, all Scripture uh, brings to us that missions comes out of the local church. 
They would lay hands on people and they would send them out uh, to go forth into the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of my greatest hopes and desires as a church and as a ministry is that we can send people all over the world to touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, how many times have we heard it, but it bears repeating, why should we hear the gospel thousands and tens of thousands of times when some people have never heard it one time? And so the Word of God gives us the vision that we've got to be willing to go out of our comfort zone and to cross-culturally minister to people in other places, other lands, other nations and that allow them to know that Jesus Christ loves them just as much as he loves us and you know what you may not be called to go but you can pray and you can give you can always do those two things if you never ever leave the county you were born in you can still make a difference in the world by your prayers and by your giving as you understand that God has called you not only to change your local world, but he has called you literally to change and to impact the entire world. So we're presence-driven and we're missions-minded, but we don't stop there. It goes on to say, our, our mission statement goes on to say, showing unconditional love. The third aspect is, is that we are compassion-oriented. Do you know that a lot of times people who need the church the most feel the most uneasy to come to a church I ask this ever so often let me ask it again have you ever gone to church you say well preacher I'm sitting here today well okay I understand but do you know how many of you can remember when you went to church for the first time anybody now let me ask this question, how many of you can remember, maybe you grew up in, in a traditional background, denominational background, how many of you can remember the first time you went to a quote-unquote spirit-filled church? That just blew your ever-loving mind, didn't it? I've had people come to me before and say, Pastor, why does everybody pray at one time? I said, well, it's just what we do. Wasn't all, you know, deacon so-and-so is supposed to get up and lead the prayer and, and it's kind of disconcerting when you come in you know uh, but but you know what I'm, I'm a pastor and I've been a pastor for a long time but when I go and visit another church I feel uneasy there's just that that sense of well I'm not sure what they're going to do uh, you, you know churches can do some really strange things you know I, I've been to church before that they had all the visitors to stand I mean, that just makes you feel really good, doesn't it? I mean, you're, you're trying to be incognito anyway. And, there's, and I, I love going to church, the smaller churches especially. Uh, I, I love going to them. But what's funny about it is that when you walk in and you're not part of the group, they all turn around and stare at you. <laughs> Ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. Uh, <laughs> I heard a guy tell one time, said he went and visited a church and said this guy walked up to him with this uh, fuzzy little ball that, that was sticky and said he put it on his shoulder. And the guy looked down and he said, what's that for? He said, we wanted to give you a warm fuzzy as our guest. 
I, I, I read about another church that uh, they, they would all stand up and they would sing to their guests. They would turn around and sing to all, they'd have all the, they wouldn't make the visitors stand up, but they would all stand up and then they would sing. Can, can you imagine how uncomfortable that's got to be? See, the, the church environment, what we call the church, and I understand that the church is the ecclesia, which are the called out ones, but, but when we're referring to the church right now, we're talking about the local gathering place. Listen, it needs to be a place that shows unconditional love to people. I, I, I don't want to shock you today, but I will guarantee you if you name a sin, somebody in a love and truth church somewhere is doing it. Now, now, see, that, that upsets religious people. Well, I can't believe they're all supposed to be holy. They're supposed to be righteous. They're supposed to be. I, I know we're supposed to be. I get it. And I'm not excusing sin at any level, but I'm just telling you, we've got to come to the point. Isn't it interesting how often we're quick to judge other people's sins? I can't believe they would do that. But when it comes to our little indiscretions, we won't call them sin. Well, but you've got to understand. See, here's the issue is that we judge people, other people, we judge them by their actions and we judge ourselves by our motives. And what we need to do is we need to learn to be a place that has love for everybody. Listen, I hope people who are in the worst sin go to a love and true church. Now, I'm not talking about using them in leadership. I'm not talking about promoting them uh, when they are in a place of sinfulness that they're not repentant of. But I want to tell you, the church needs to be a place where people who don't know Jesus Christ and who are living in all kinds of circumstances feel welcome to come. I mean, when we, when we begin to, to, to decide what the name of this church was going to be years and years ago, we, we determine, yes, it needs to have truth, but first of all, it's got to have love. And so that's why it's called Love and Truth Church. The truth has always got to be wrapped in love. Have you ever been around people who they've got all the truth, but, man, they will kill you with it? And they'll cut you to pieces. Here's what the Word says, slash. Right? And yet the church is supposed to be a place that's compassion-oriented. It's a place that, that shows people love. And, and you know what? It's not just showing people love when they come through the doors the first time and they're in a mess. It's also being willing to show people love after they've been saved, after they've been walking with God, and they mess up and they do something wrong that we still, yes, there's a process of restoration. Yes, there's a process to go through to get back to where God wants you to be, but it needs to be a place where there is love that is given. The Bible says if your brother stumbles, if he sins, if he falls into disgrace, that you which are spiritual are to restore such a one. That word restore is the same word that is used when they restore a broken bone. It's to set back into place what has been broken apart. That's what God calls us to do, to be a place that is compassion-oriented. And then it goes on to talk about that we've got to reach the lost. We've got to be outward focused. I, I mean, I've, I've been around church again all my life. I'm, I'm, uh, I was born overseas. My parents were missionaries. Uh, my father, when we came back to the U.S., pastored churches. Even when I tried to run away from churches, all I did was see church people. 
right? And, and so, I mean, I know church inside and out. And yet what I found is, is that a lot of times that we are more concerned in the church about what we like than we are in reaching out to the lost. God wants you to reach the lost. God wants us as a church to always be focused on those who are yet to come. I had somebody use that against me recently. said, well, you know, that church has become so focused on those who are yet to come that they're not taking care of those who have come. I want to tell you, first of all, we'll do everything we can to take care of you if you're in this house. But I want to tell you, if the sheep are in the fold, the Bible says the shepherd leaves the 90 and 9 and goes out and finds the one that's lost. Our focus has got to be not the 90 and 9, and I'm sorry if that offends you, but it has always got to be the one that is still out there, that is still lost, that is still hurting, that still doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the focus of this house. That is the vision of this ministry, and it will not change, and it has not changed for years because that is what God has called us to do. And so we've got to focus on the lost. We've got, to, we've got to reach them. We've got to make a, an environment where they want to come. We've, we've got to be willing to be involved uh, with those who don't know Jesus yet. It, it's such a sad truth, but they tell us, statistics tell us that after somebody is saved about 24 months, they have nobody in their circle of relationships that's an unbeliever. We go to church with unbelievers. We go to eat with, un, with believers. We go to eat with believers. I mean, we hang out with, but all we do, it, it's all. And yet, the Lord didn't call us to just have, you know, a holy huddle. God called us to reach the lost. And let me tell you this, and I'll move on and give you the last one. But when you reach the lost, it gets messy. If you, again, you ever had a baby in the house, you know babies make messes. When you reach the lost, lost people, they say things. I mean, I've, I've had people shake my hand and leave in church, use words that aren't Sunday school words. Preacher, that was one blank of a sermon today. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was. You know, I mean, I had that happen here not long ago. I mean, it, you know, they don't know. They just compliment. That's what they say. They say that every day, all day long. Watch it one more time. Hey, preacher, I was in that. They don't know they're supposed to say, Reverend, that was a marvelous <laughs> exposition of the Word of God. And they just kind of lay it out there. And so you, you, you have to be willing to love people, but you have to also understand that you're constantly focused outside the doors, reaching the lost and touching people's lives. And then the last part of that says bringing all people to a maturity in Jesus Christ through obedience to his holy word. And, and so what we're number five is, is that we are involved in servanthood development. Now that word's not one you hear a whole lot of, but, but it really is what God's called us to be, and that's to be servants. That doesn't excite people very much, does it? You know, when I, when I tell you I want you to be a servant, you go, oh, I'm not sure about that. Well, listen, God's called you to serve. Over 50 times in the New Testament, it talks about one another. Love one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, uh, encourage one another, on and on. Over 50 times in the New Testament. It talks about one another. And so part of the process of what we have as a vision is, is not just to get you saved. We want you to get saved. But after you get saved, we want you to move on in relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So, somebody came to me one time. They said, you mean I've got to go through all those classes to be a member? I said, yep. Well, I, I've, I've known Jesus for 50 years. Well, that's wonderful. But see, there's a purpose to those membership classes. And that purpose is to enable you to develop the discipleship habits that God wants in your life so that you can devote yourself fully to everything God's called you to. Think about it. Four weeks out of your life to move in to full maturity in Jesus Christ is really not that much. And yet so often people really don't understand what we're doing. Let me say this to you and I'm going to close. My goal is not just to fill church buildings. Rick Warren said years ago, we should not be so concerned about our seating capacity as we are our sending capacity. And I really believe that. I thank God for large buildings and large congregations. But I want to tell you, I am more concerned about helping you develop your relationship with Jesus Christ and becoming everything that God wants you to be above everything else. That's what you're called to. You're not called to come just sit in a seat on a Sunday morning. You're called to make a difference in the world. You're called to touch people's lives. So it doesn't matter what your job description is in the natural your spiritual job description, no matter whatever else it is you're doing, is that you are to touch people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's the vision that we have in this house, to reach out, to touch, to encourage, to strengthen. But we live by these five things. Every day, it's what we talk about, what we focus on. Presence-driven, missions-minded, compassion-oriented, outward-focused, and servanthood development. That's the vision of this house and of this ministry. And we believe that if we will be obedient to that vision, that God's glory will take us from glory to glory. Let me read this to you. The book of Habakkuk, the second chapter. Verse 2 and 3 says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Why did I take this day to talk to you about the vision? Because the scripture also says, without a vision, the people perish, King James Version says. The New International Version says, people cast off restraints. There's got to be a vision. Every day of our lives and every day as a ministry, the vision has to be the thing that keeps us moving into what God has.